you for taking the time to listen to this sermon from Seekers Christian Fellowship. We believe that God's Word completes the believer, making them fully equipped men and women of God, ready for every good work. It is our prayer that through this message, you're challenged by the Word of God, built up in love for God and one another, conforming to the image of Jesus Christ. Praise God. Good morning, church. And uh, great that we're able to gather again on this beautiful day to, um, to go deeper into God's Word. Um, we're continuing our series in the authentic church. As you know, we started 2024 with this series, looking at the church. And, um, uh, and we've come to the topic of the church and fellowship. Can everyone say that word with me? Fellowship. Fellowship. The church and fellowship. It's a word we use a lot, don't we? In church, fellowship, fellowship, fellowship. Um, but the question is, do we really know what the Bible means when it uses that word fellowship? You know when Pastor Deo or Pastor Ronald come up here at the end of the service and they say, please come and join us for a time of fellowship, right? Is that what fellowship is? Is it limited to the fellowship hall? Um, and here's a tough question for us, church, especially us. Can you even call it fellowship? If there's no coffee, cake, and Jamaican patties. Can we call it fellowship? Can we? Right? I mean, you understand why this is important. This is an important topic for us, especially for us. If our name is going to be Seekers Christian Fellowship, we have to know what that word means. Even for Kenmuir Baptist Church, what association of Baptist churches do we belong to? The, the fellowship. The fellowship. And so that's what we have. We really have a responsibility, don't we? To know what this word fellowship means from the Bible. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. I'm going to, I'm going to pose three questions. And we're going to work our way through, the te- through, through a few select passages to answer those questions. The questions are very basic. The first question is, what is church fellowship? Or I could say, what is Christian fellowship? I'm using those words interchangeably. Christian or church fellowship. What does it require What does fellowship require? And the third question is, why is it so important? Are you with me? Okay. Oh, no, no. no. Anyone? Yeah. A couple yawns. Yeah, a couple hands. Okay. So we're going to go through it. So those are three questions. So with that, let's dive into the first question. What is church fellowship? What is Christian fellowship? And I can think of no better place to begin than with the early church. Could you turn in your Bible to Acts chapter 2, please? Acts chapter 2. If you need a Bible, it's in the chair in front of you. And uh, we'll, we'll bring it up on the screen as well. What did the earliest Christians, what did the New Testament, the first New Testament church, what did they do? Here it is. Luke tells us. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. And the fellowship. So we can see that in the very same sentence, describing the commitment of the church to preaching and teaching, Luke describes that they were devoted, they devoted themselves to fellowship. So that word in the Greek, the word for fellowship in the Greek is koinonia. Can you turn to someone beside you? Don't spit at them because it's kind of hard to not spit when you're saying, say koinonia. Go ahead. Koinonia, koinonia, 
Pastor Dale Koinonia. Okay? Um, it, it means at least two things that I want us to get today. Okay? Two very important things. Partnership and sharing. Okay? Partnership and sharing. And I want us to look at each of those in turn. The first thing, to have fellowship with someone biblically means that you have a partnership with them. Okay? But we're partners. And that's important because I want you to notice I didn't say that we're all friends. Some of you are looking very disappointed in me, and I'm sorry, but that's not what the word means. But I think when we think of the word fellowship, we think of friendship, don't we? We think, okay, I'm coming, I'm looking for friendship, but that word means partnership. Don't get me wrong. When you share as much in common as we do, Sooner or later, you will find some of your best friendships are here in this church, as I have found, and many of you have found. It's true. But the word means partnership. And that's important. It's so important. I want you to remember the context. Acts 2. Do you know what happened just before Luke tells us that they devoted themselves to the fellowship? Look at verse 41. Okay, Verse 41. The verse just before the verse we read. 3,000 souls were added to the church that very day. So the question you have to ask yourself is, do you really think that those 3,000 plus people were all friends? The way that we think of friendship. Do you think so? Do you think that those 3,000 people all had the same hobbies, the same interests? They liked the same sports teams, they had the same taste in music or politics, they had the same sense of humor, or they, or they were in the same, they grew up in the same culture, the same season of life, they could relate on everything like you and I would consider for a friendship? Of course not. Of course not. And yet, are these not the expectations that we bring with us when we come to church looking for fellowship? Right? Isn't that what we're looking for? We're looking for people who will relate with us, who will be friends in the way that we think of friends. Sadly, I think sometimes we bring this dream, this dream of community, this dream of what we think it should be, how people should treat me, how people should relate with me and be my friend. We bring that as our, we love that as our expectation of of fellowship. The pastor, Diedrich Bonhoeffer, He said this. I love this quote. I I want you to remember this. He says, The person who loves their dream of community will actually destroy community. But the person who loves those around them will create community. Isn't that so true? When we come in with our expectations as to how community should look, how people should treat me, how I should feel welcomed and everything else, we actually come in with a destructive attitude that actually destroys community. But the people who come and say, I'm going to love those who are placed around me are actually the ones who will create community. You see what he's saying, church? Christian fellowship is not based on any of those preferences. It's not based on those things. There's a book in our library called 
compelling community. I don't know if some of you have read that book. Some of you have heard of that book. It's from Nine Marks. I commend it to you, but it opened my mind to this. Do you know that the world has lots of fellowships? Like, the world has tons of fellowships. If you're, a, if you're in university or you're on campus, you're on, co- in, on a college campus, you can find fellowship very easily with people in your residence, people in your dorm, people in your program, people on, in the clubs that you're going to. It's easy to find fellowship that way. If you're a young mom, it's very easy to spot a stroller in the park or in the library, right? And find community with other moms. If you're a Raptors fan, you can have community with other Raptors fans and car lovers with car lovers. And those of you who are immigrants or people of color, you can easily find community with people of the same background and and upbringing. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying those are bad. Those are good communities. But if your fellowship is based merely on a shared interest or a shared ethnicity or a shared um, season of life, there's nothing compelling about that. Why? Because the world can easily reproduce that. You see that? The world can give you that. What makes Christian fellowship different, what makes a church community compelling, is that it is not based on any of those things. On any of those things. What is it based on? Philippians 1.5. Paul uses the same word, koinonia. This is what it is. It's a partnership. You see the word? It's a partnership based in the gospel. That's what it is. That's what fellowship is. We're not just friends. We're partners in the gospel. The apostle John says it this way, 1 John 1.3. He says, that which we have seen and heard... We proclaim also to you so that you too may have what? Fellowship. So you see, how do you get fellowship? By hearing what the apostles said, by by reading what they wrote in the Bible and believing it. When you receive the gospel, when you trust in Jesus, you are automatically entered into a fellowship, a partnership with people throughout history and all over the world, people that you haven't even met yet. Think about that, church. There are people who live lives that are worlds apart from you, who yet they are your partners. Because, as we sang, you share one common foundation. Right? The church's one foundation, Jesus Christ, our Lord. I want you to do something. I want to do a little exercise, okay? I know they tell you at church, don't look at other people. I want you to look around for a second, okay? Just look around, left, right, back. Look behind you. Don't forget the people behind you, okay? In front of you. I want you to realize something. We are not partners because we share the same skin color. Because we don't. We're not partners because we're from the same race or ethnicity. We're not partners because we grew up in the same culture or even are from the same generation. We don't have the same gender. We don't work similar jobs. We don't go to the same neighborhoods. We don't have the same schools. Um, Those fellowships are easy, church. Those are easy things. The world can reproduce that. True Christian fellowship is based on a partnership that is greater than everything that is different about us. 
Praise God. Anyone? Praise God for that. Praise God for that. I want to show you this. Galatians 3.28. Paul says it this way. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus. Colossians 3.11, he says, Not Greek and Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all. Christ is all and in all. And church, the world cannot do this. The world can't do this. You know what the world does? If they see Jews and Gentiles, they say, no, no, you guys can't be together. You're enemies. That's what the world will say. You're enemies. There's no way you can be together. From the world's perspective, Jews and Gentiles shouldn't be together. And let me tell you something. From the world's perspective, we shouldn't be together. I want you to let that sink in. We shouldn't be together, church. There's no reason from the world's perspective that a millennial in this room, a young adult, should go and meet with a senior in the, t- in the, in the fellowship time and laugh together. That doesn't make sense to the world. There's no reason that a teenager should care enough about my four-year-old to go into Sunday school and help him color a picture of Noah's Ark or whatever they're doing. There's no reason for that in the world's eyes. There's no reason that those of you who have, who have means and those of you who have lack should stand side by side, roll up your sleeves, and wash dishes and do whatever it takes to serve one another. The world will tell you that that shouldn't happen. What do you have in common? How can you be partners? How can you have fellowship? But God says, God says that if you are in Christ, all that is different about you amounts to nothing. And I mean that because that verse says Christ is what? All. It doesn't say Christ is the majority and then the rest of it is made up by ethnicity and, you know, uh, shared interests. No, no. He said Christ is all and in all. Christ is all that we have in common. I know Pastor Ronald's not here, but I'd be remiss if I didn't say this. Some of you don't know, when SCF was founded over 30 years ago, this is the only way you bring together two warring people groups and make them partners. It's only this. It's only this church. Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that's the first thing. What is Christian fellowship? It's a partnership, number one. Number two, um, fellowship means sharing. Okay? Fellowship means sharing. Um, And I feel like it it goes without saying, but I'm going to say it anyways. Sharing is a two-way street. Right? You guys know that, right? My child doesn't know that necessarily. Um, Recently, he says to me, Daddy, you're not sharing. As I took a French fry from his, um, his plate. Now, that wasn't a time to preach at him, so I didn't. I just apologized for taking the French fry. But my point is, um, sharing doesn't just mean receiving, John. Right? Sharing is not just, what can I get? What will I receive? I'm coming to receive. What am I going to get? Uh, sharing means giving. Look back at that verse, Luke, uh, sorry, um, Acts 2.42. Luke says, they were what? They were devoted. 
In the NASB, it says they were continually devoting themselves. What does it mean to be devoted to something? It takes energy, doesn't it? It takes effort. It takes care and attention to detail. It takes work to be devoted to something. It takes work. And let me tell you something. Today, when you go to the fellowship hall, it's going to take work for you not to go and meet with the same old Kumbaya group. I'm being honest. It is going to take work because that's easy. I mean, you're just, that's the group that you receive from, right? They know you, you know them, you've loved them for years. It's very easy. You, it's a give, a give and take, but you, but you receive. It's really easy. It's going to take work for you to go and speak to someone or a couple or that family who's sitting by themselves at a table. That's going to take work. You know why? Because that conversation is not going to be easy, right? Like they may not speak much. So you have to do all the work in the conversation. That's kind of draining. And I think some of us, we even think, you know, what do I have in common with that person? How am I going to relate with them? I don't know what we even talk about. But I want to push back on that by reminding you of that first point. If fellowship is partnership, and the partnership is based on who? On Christ and Christ alone, Christ is all. That's what we said. If that's the case, guess what? You don't need to rack your brain to try to find like pop, pop, pop culture references to relate with people. I think sometimes we think that. Someone once said to me, I, th- I feel like I have to go, go home and watch like their favorite TV show and so I can talk to them. Come on. Or some of you might think, oh, I can't go and talk to Keith unless I go and watch the news and the weather. He's always talking about the news and the weather. I don't know how to relate with him otherwise. Right? Let me tell you something. Some people don't want to be asked about personal things. You know that? Some people are intimidated to come to church because you're going to ask them about their education. You're going to ask them about their family things. You're going to ask them about stuff that they don't want to, they don't feel comfortable sharing. So that's okay. We don't have to talk about that. We can talk about Jesus Christ. That's all we have, church, in common. That truly is what our partnership is based on. You can ask them what they thought of the message, what they thought of um, the worship, what they, how their week has been going, you know, how their faith struggle. How can you pray for them? I'm being serious. This is not to be lame or anything. This is how we change the culture of a church, the culture of our fellowship. Don't make it necessary for people to have to watch a million shows on Netflix or have to know the latest whatever gossip in order to come and feel comfortable in fellowship. That's not a church. That can happen anywhere else. Christian fellowship involves partnership and sharing. I want to show you a picture of what Paul, Paul, the Apostle Paul gives us, 1 Corinthians. This is what sharing looks like. He's talking about this beautiful analogy of the body and its members. You know the, the, what I'm talking about? The members of the body all are one. And he says... Um, that they may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, verse 26, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. You know what he's saying? Sharing is not just about giving your money or giving your time. or your, It's about sharing life together. That's what fellowship is. It's sharing life together, church. 
That's what we're called to do. And on that note, I have to say, being here for the past 20 plus years with, with many of you, I have to say, time does not suffice for me to give thanks to God for all the ways that I've seen you sharing life together. It's a blessing, church. It's such a blessing. I'm not talking about just the cakes, okay? I know we celebrate with those who celebrate with cakes, right? We always do that, right? Everyone, we love our cakes here at church, amen? No one, yeah? Okay, everyone's feeling a little guilty, right? Pop some insulin and have some cake, right? But pop, the, the point I'm driving is not that. It's not just celebrate with those who celebrate. It's also the tears and the hugs with, when you mourn with those who mourn. It's also the food that you sent to that person who is in need, the ride that you gave to someone who didn't have one, when you visited the sick, when you picked up the phone and you called that person to encourage them or pray with them, when you opened up your homes to each other, not counting the cost, holding your possessions lightly, right? Giving generously to the church, giving generously to missions, giving, receiving, giving, receiving. Church, what an absolute blessing we have, isn't it? To live life this way, to... To, to be in a fellowship where we can share our lives together. Share life together. And so this is what fellowship is. What is fellowship? Christian fellowship. It's partnership and it's sharing. Partnership and sharing. Which brings us to the second question. What does it require? Okay? What, so that we know what it is now. What does it require? You know, the, um, the COVID-19 um, pandemic was a very challenging time for the church. And not just our church. I'm talking about, you know, the Church of Christ across the globe, right? You know that. Because there was much division. Much division over, especially lockdowns. What to do with lockdowns, right? How do we respond to the lockdowns from the government? And um, I can tell you, just like other churches... Our elders gathered, we prayed, we wrestled with it, we sought the Lord, we sought counsel. Because you can understand the difficulty, right? We want to obey God. We want to honor the authorities He has put in place. The one thing I must say and give thanks to God for is this. The pandemic helped to drag our church. I'm using the word drag. To drag our church's technology into the 21st century. Right? Lord knows. It wasn't for right Andy? Lord knows it wasn't for wasn't for COVID-19, we may still be using Windows 95, right? You know that, right? Right? No, he's he's nodding. Okay. Windows XP. Something, right? Something from the from the from the dark ages. Um, but no, I I I'm serious. How God used, think about it, a pandemic to bring about online platforms. I mean, podcasts and live streaming. And I can't tell you how many unchurched, unreached people have heard the word of God, not just from our church, but from all the churches who have gone online in their ministries because of this. It's true. I, I, I was even thinking about, I know most of our ministries are now in person, but our midweek ministry like prayer and Bible study, we still have on, on the Zoom platform. Um, we have more people coming to prayer and Bible study than we ever did before. And mainly because it was so difficult to commute, right? Midweek, the commute is not easy. And so I'm not exaggerating when I say this, Andy, I, I, I mean this. I know I was joking, but I mean this. You 
and the tech team, you guys have like, you have ministered to so many people. And I give thanks for your ministry. I really give thanks. Yeah, praise God. Praise God. I do give thanks for the ministry. But amidst all the differences that we may have had during the pandemic, there's one thing that every Bible-believing Christian and church can affirm. Christian fellowship requires gathering. It requires meeting together. I don't just mean in this building. I'm not just talking about in, in this building, 1640 Carmen Drive. I'm talking about it could be in a common space. It could be in your homes like the early church did. But whatever it is, Christian fellowship requires gathering. It's true, isn't it? I don't want to traumatize you, but I want to remind you of the middle of the pandemic when you were cooped up in your home and all we had was Zoom and YouTube. You remember that? You wore a nice shirt, but your pajamas were on the bottom. Remember that? Right? You're laughing because it's true. You're ashamed of it, but it's true. I, I, no, I, no, jokes aside, I mean, you remember, what, what did that teach us? We lost something, didn't we, church? We lost something, and we shouldn't forget that lesson that we learned through the pandemic. What did it teach us? That there is really no substitute. There is no other replacement. There is no alternative. Christian fellowship requires gathering. I want to show you this. Hebrews 10, the, the passage that was read for us. Hebrews 10. Let's take, a look at, let, let's take a look at this now. The writer says, And let us consider how to stir one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So the writer of Hebrews begins by saying, Consider. You know what he means? He means... Pay attention. And we're very good at paying attention to ourselves. I don't need to tell you to do that. He's saying, pay attention to the people around you. And not just to look at them and see what they're doing. He says, pay attention to how you can stir them up. That word stir means provoke. Okay? Which, is, which is hilarious to me. Because, you know, you know, how you, you know when you know your spouse so well... Or you know your, your sibling, your brother or sister so well that you know exactly the buttons to press to get them to be angry. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, you do. I see some nudges. Yeah, across the, yeah. Right, you know what I'm talking about, right? So what is God saying? He's saying we should know each other so well. The spiritual health of one another, the strengths and weaknesses of each other, so that we know the buttons to press to provoke each other, not to be angry, but to what? To what? To love God more. To do his good works. That's what God wants us, to know each other, to provoke someone, provoke each other to do good works, provoke each other to love, know each other well enough to press those buttons. And how do you do that? How do you do that? Look at the next verse. He says, by not neglecting to meet together. To meet together. I don't know if you realize this, church. Hebrews was written um, before 70 AD. 70 AD is when the temple in Jerusalem was destroyed. Before 70 AD. This is just a few decades after Jesus walked the earth. And can you believe 
But already, some people had stopped going to church. Right? That's what he's saying. As is the, what's the word? Huh? Habit of some. What's a habit? What's a bad habit? Something that you keep doing over and over again. It came to the point where people were, had stopped going to church so much that it was basically a habit for them not to meet with the church. And so I know I need to be sensitive here. I don't want to be legalistic. I know there are some people in our church family who cannot physically gather with us, right? On the Lord's Day, they can't gather for, for, for health reasons. Um, and, and as the 1689 calls it, some people can't gather because of duties of necessity, duties of mercy. But I need to be clear, there is no such thing as individual Christianity. No such thing. Apart from the church that Christ died for. There's no such, there's no such thing as virtual Christianity. If you have accepted the gospel, if you are united to Jesus Christ, you are united to him and his bride, the church, and gathering with her on a weekly basis is not optional. You turn to someone, be gentle about it because they may be convicted. Turn to someone and say, gathering with the church is not optional. Go ahead. Go ahead. With love. With love. It's not optional. It's not optional. Church, it's really not. And I want to show you this. It's a duty and a delight. It's a duty and a delight. Look at this. Look at verse 25. He says, meet together and all the more, look at the end, all the more as you see the day drawing near. Do you see what he's doing? He's making a connection between two things. What are they? The return of Jesus Christ and you gathering with the church. If you see that connection, you will understand the urgency of what he's saying. There is an urgency here. There is a responsibility that he's highlighting for you, a duty that if you really believe that today you are one day closer to the return of Jesus, the end of the age, than you were yesterday, it will lead you to do what? To gather with your church. It will lead you to gather. If you understand, do you really believe he's coming? Anyone? Of course. As believe, we believe he's returning. If you believe he's coming, it will lead you to gather. And how frequently will you gather? Look what he says, verse 25. All the more. Which means more and more and more. It's no longer just Sundays. Maybe it's on the weekend. Maybe it's in the midweek. Whatever it is. The pattern he's showing. I'm not trying to be legalistic. Please, if you're getting a guilt trip, that's not my intention. Please. I know there are seasons of life. But I want you to take a moment and ask yourself, can this be said of me? Just ask yourself the question. As I'm growing older, as I'm getting closer and closer to the return of Jesus Christ, can this be said of me? That I'm gathering more and more and more with the church. My frequency of gathering is increasing because I understand the urgency as the days are drawing near. This is our duty. That's the first thing, okay? It's our duty. 
But also I want you to realize it's not just a duty, beloved. It's a delight. It's a delight to gather with your church. You know why? Look at verse 25. What does it do? What happens to you when you gather? What does he say? It? Anyone? What happens when we gather? It encourages you. It encourages you. We encourage one another. That's what he's saying. To what? To, to persevere, to, to, to keep from sin, to grow in your hope, right? As we watch over one another. Church, this is an absolute delight that we get to do. How was your week last week? Were you discouraged? Guess what? Coming to church will encourage you before you start the next week. I, 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 I want to tell you this. You know, this is not kicking and screaming. I remember back in the day in youth ministry, I knew a young man who would come kicking and screaming to church. You know, his uncle had to promise him Leafs tickets. Leafs tickets, guys. That's back when they were, I guess they weren't that great back then, but anyways, maybe it was cheaper. But promised him Leafs tickets to get him to come to church. Because he came kicking and screaming. Today he's married to my sister. Um, But, um, but, um, that's another sermon, I guess. <laughs> and he sees it as a delight. He gets it. He gets it. But isn't it true that so many of us came kicking and screaming? But when you understand that it's a delight, it really is that when we get to gather, we encourage each other. You know, on our way back home, Naroshi and I, we pass by a mall. And every Sunday we pass by, the, the parking lot is full. And we often comment to each other like, we just came back from church, but they're still at their church. It's true, right? I mean, this is where the world goes to try in vain to fill their emptiness and discouragement. Isn't it a privilege that we get to come together? This delight to encourage each other, to encourage one another, which brings us to the final question. We said, fellowship is partnership and sharing, Fellowship requires gathering. And the last question I have is, why is it so important? Okay? Why is it so important? Why does this matter? Um, I don't need to tell you this, church, but you know that many people in the world um, claim to be Christian. Right? You know that. A lot of people. Celebrities. Everyone. Everyone claims, especially politicians, to try to, you know, get garner votes. They'll claim to be Christian. But the sad truth is, you also know this, that the majority of people who claim to be Christian live lives that are anything but Christian. Right? You know that. And so the question you have to wonder today is, how is, how is the world supposed to know who is truly a Christian? A good question. If there's so many false people out there, so many fake Christians, so many namesake Christians, how is the world supposed to know who are truly disciples of Jesus? Who are the true followers of Christ? And I used to think, maybe you think this way today too, the way that I can prove to the world that I'm a Christian is by loving people, loving the world, like loving them. Maybe you think that too today. Like if I just love, if I can be a loving person, Right? If I can just smile all the time, eventually, sooner or later, someone's going to ask me, hey, why are you so happy? And then they'll know that I must follow Jesus. That's what I used to think. 
before Jesus left his disciples on earth, he told them why our Christian fellowship is so important. I want you to see this. And we're coming to the end here. John 13. He says this. Look at this. He says, a new commandment I give to you that you love who? The world? One another. Who's he talking to? He was talking to his disciples. He was talking to the early church. And what does he say? Just as I have loved you, you also are to love who? One another church. Why? Verse 35. Here's the important one. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Church, this is why Christian fellowship is so important. Our partnership, our sharing, our gathering um, with other, and our, our love for each other. It is by this that the world will know who we follow. Not by your love for the world, but by your love for one another. The world will know that you are Christ's disciples. Because I, you know this already, but the world can see through fake you know, they're not dumb. They can see through when you're a namesake Christian. They can see through people who are hypocritical, people who just are, 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 are what do we call them? C&E, C&E Christians, right? Christmas and Easter, they show up, but the rest of the year, nowhere to be found, right? C&E, Christian, they know that. The world can see through that. But on Monday morning, this Monday, when you go back to work or you go to school or wherever you go and your colleague or friend asks you, how was your weekend? You know it's coming. Happens every week. How was your weekend? And when you tell them about church, when you tell, I don't know why we don't do this. When you tell them about your church fellowship, your love, your, 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 your sharing and partnership and gathering with people who are nothing like you and loving them like Jesus loves, which means being willing to lay down your lives for each other. I promise you, church, if you do that, your friend will have lots of questions for you. But one thing they will know for certain is who you follow. That's what the word promises. One thing they will know for sure it is that you follow. That's why our fellowship is so important. That's why it points the world to Jesus. It points the world to Jesus. And so as we close, um, I know some of you may be struggling with this topic. Right? As I'm describing this, this topic of fellowship, you may be thinking to yourself, that's a very rosy picture but that is not what I've experienced in church or in churches. It's this idea of partnership and sharing and gathering, everything else, love. Let's be real. Many Christians will leave a church, will leave a church because they feel they didn't fit in to the fellowship, right? You know that. You don't have to, we don't have to be, we, we don't have to be naive, That's, right? I know some people who hop from church to church because they're looking for greener grass when it comes to fellowship. And there are many reasons that we, we struggle to find fellowship, but let me say something. I believe the ultimate reason, the thing that ruins fellowship, is sin. It's sin. I'll show you this as we're closing. 1 John 1, 7. 
John says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. You know what he's not saying? If we walk in darkness. If we're living in sin, we don't have fellowship with each other. We don't. No way. No way. What is he saying to you? Walk in the light. Come to the light of God. Which means what? Confess your sins. That's the first step. Confess your sins to God. And he promises you that if you ask him to forgive you, his word promises you can have fellowship with each other. You can have fellowship as the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. From all sin. And for the rest of you, those of you who, who, are, who, are, who love what we have, who you appreciate what we have, I want to leave you with this quote. I told you, I quoted the pastor, Diedrich Bonhoeffer, earlier, right? Some of you know his story. I don't know if you, many of you do, but um, he was imprisoned by the Nazis in World War II. Um, he was executed by Hitler's second man, Heinrich Himmler, in 1945, not very long after the end of the war. He was killed in prison. And during his years in prison, he lost contact with, with every, like his loved ones, his family, the outside world. But according to his testimony, the most precious possession that he lost was Christian fellowship. Was Christian fellowship. He, he, he wrote a book, some of you know, Life Together. I tried to look in our library. We don't have it, but I think you can get it on, on Hoopla, if I'm not mistaken, as an audiobook. Life Together. And he, this is a quote from there. I want to I end with this. He says, The physical presence of other Christians is a source of incomparable joy and strength to the believer. How inexhaustible are the riches that open up for those who by God's will are privileged to live in the daily fellowship of life with other Christians. He says, let him who has such a privilege thank God on his knees and declare it is grace, nothing but grace, that we are allowed to live in fellowship with Christian brothers. As we close, church, you can stand. Worship team, if you can come. Um, I want to do something that we haven't done in a long time. And I know um, not everyone is comfortable with this. That's okay. But I want us to ex- take a moment before we sing this last song, extend the hand of fellowship to each other in the sense, turn to someone and say, I thank God for you. Can we do that? As the worship team comes, turn to someone and say, I thank God for you. I thank God for you. I thank God for you, pastor. I thank God for you, brother. I thank God for you guys. I thank God for you. Yes. Praise God. Praise God. We're going to sing this last song. It's a beautiful song that's been chosen. Thank you, brother. Um, and I'm going to leave. If you let me, I'll leave you on a lighter note. Lighter note, okay? A quote from Spurgeon. He says, We who believe in Jesus are going to live together in heaven forever and ever. So we may as well be good friends while we're here. Amen? Amen. Praise God. Let's sing.